right. Thank you, Katie and Katie listeners, for joining me on the Meet in the Middle show, where we show dialogue on complex issues with local thought leaders with differing opinions. The hope is for listeners to gain new perspective and empower freedom of expression. I'm Dan Richardson, and today's topic is human consciousness. Is it a means or an end? Thanks for joining us. Uh, my guest today, uh, usually we have two guests. Today, Nicholas Vesey is such a special guest. Uh, he's <laughs> our sole guest today. Um, and Nicholas has been the minister at the Aspen Chapel since 2014, having come to Aspen from England. He's the author of two books, Developing Consciousness, A Roadmap of the Journey to Enlightenment, and Living the Life Force. Nicholas likes to explore the relationship between consciousness and spirituality through all the great wisdom traditions. Although he is ordained as an Anglican priest, he uses the, you might have to correct me here, Nicholas, the Tao Te Ching, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Dhammapada, and the Koran, among many other sacred texts, to help him on his path. Welcome, Nicholas, and feel free to correct me on that. No, I'm not going to correct you with anything. That was just perfect, and uh, it's lovely to be here, Dan. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Uh, well, thank you for being here, Nicholas, and being willing to model respectful freedom of expression, which I believe is vital to the success of our country. Today's show falls well outside my expertise, but smack dab in the middle of where my curiosity takes me. I switched careers a few years back, shifting from projects to people. Autism captured my attention because I saw it as a way to better understand people, or as I like to say, it's a window into humanity. But as the saying goes, the more I learn, the less I know. And human consciousness is an excellent example. So I cajoled Nicholas to, Nicholas to be my guest to help shine some light on uh, what I think is a very complex topic. Uh, and what I might refer to as, uh, to me, I, 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 I guess I could say I've, I've come to see conscious, human consciousness as the idea of shared humanity. Uh, and I thought I'd start with a few simple definitions to kind of kick off the questions. So in my... Uh, infinite wisdom in Google research, uh, consciousness, I found, was on the most basic level, it means the state of being, awake and aware of one's surroundings. Maybe dig a little deeper or think about it a little differently, and it can mean the fact of awareness by the end, but excuse me, by the mind of itself and the world. And one more definition, mindfulness. On the most basic level, it means the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. And take it a step further, it can mean a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. So, Nicholas, I purposefully used some pretty generic definitions, uh, and I thought I would just ask you for some opening thoughts on those definitions since that's the, today's topic. Well, I've got, I've got a couple of definitions of my own. Okay. Um, I like this definition, which is consciousness comes from the two Latin words, conscios, which means to know together. And I think that's quite interesting. The idea of, you know, we are now conscioting, we are knowing together. And, and that gives an idea of what, what, what consciousness is. But my favorite definition comes from the International Dictionary of Psychology. And they say, it is the having of perceptions, thoughts, feelings, and awareness. And then it goes on. This is a bit I like. The term is impossible to define except in terms that are unintelligible without a grasp 
of what consciousness means. Consciousness is a fascinating but elusive phenomenon. It is impossible to specify what it is, what it does, or why it evolved. And this is a bit I really like. Nothing worth reading has been written about it. And that's, it. that's in the International Dictionary of Psychology. And I, wow. I think that really sums up. We really don't know what we're talking about. All we can do is talk from our own experience and conskios about it. We can know together. You know, you can say something, I'll go, ah, oh, yeah, that's about it. And I can say something, you go, oh, yeah, maybe that, that's about it as well. And, you know, we, we, we know what we're talking about because we are, are conscious. But when it comes down to it, uh, we don't really know, you know, what it is. I mean, the big question, of course, and here is the big question. Let's, let's get the elephant straight oh, okay, out of go. the room. The big question is, does the brain create consciousness mm -hmm. or does consciousness create the brain? Is consciousness a fundamental ground of being in the whole universe or are we manufacturing consciousness? Now, that is really what it comes down to. That is the big discussion about consciousness um, when, it, when it comes down to it. In fact, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and you can find this on YouTube, he um, had a debate with Richard Dawkins at the Oxford Union. And it's about 40 minutes long. It's worth looking at on, on YouTube. And they had this, all these arguments about God and about you know, what, what it was all about. And it all came down to that that one thing you know were we creating consciousness in our brains or is there some fundamental consciousness that out of which we have developed okay um so maybe the title isn't so far off as i as i thought it might be um would you say well let me first ask a question off what you just said do you agree that that there hasn't really been anything good written about it or is that just tongue-in-cheek that we just we're still in the infancy and in understanding it i think i think i think we are in the infancy of understanding it uh, but i just love the fact that a respectable dictionary is willing to say that we really don't know Agreed. i mean most dictionaries say this is it a b c this is it a b c but this dictionary international dictionary of psychology says actually we don't know and, and I think it's quite interesting. He says, they say nothing worth written, reading has been written about it. That doesn't mean to say that nothing has been expressed that it's worth looking at. But the whole nature of writing it down and trying to analyze it is very difficult indeed. And I think it gives us a steer to our conversation today to really say that everyone listening, everyone, uh, you know, you and me, We've all got our own ideas of what consciousness is and none of it is invalid because we're all speaking from our own perspective. We're all speaking from our own consciousness. And it's the one area where all of us have an equal observation to make about mm -hmm. what we observe in terms of our own consciousness. Well said. Is it your observation that there's increasing awareness around consciousness and mindfulness? Absolutely, yeah. Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, I've got a few fundamental things that I, I sort of believe in. I mean, I, I'm not a great believer in belief. Enough. Mm -hmm. I don't think belief something that's, I think it's over, over, um, 
uh, emphasise belief. But I do look out there and I do see, uh, you know, an evolution of consciousness happening in terms of, I mean, you can see it really obviously, you know, in the beginning, Stone Age people, you know, killed each other, went off and, you know, tried to get food and stuff like that. And then you can see the, the agrarian communities came together and they, you know, they, they sort of made themselves farms and then society developed. You could see how societal consciousness has evolved all the way through. And, you know, we're in a point now where we're the development of global consciousness. And I think that nowadays, particularly in uh, a modern society, uh, people are very much thinking about where we're coming from when we're talking about anything. I mean, you could say, for example, at the moment, there's a great deal of interest in gender consciousness and gender awareness. Uh, It means that we are thinking about what we're talking about. We're not just coming up with views where we've got an idea that there is a a fundamental uh, place from which all of us come and that informs our opinions and attitudes and that that base of consciousness around gender. You can see it shifting. Uh, uh, You can see a shift, for example, in global awareness. I mean, today, something can happen in China in two minutes and I will know about it by looking on my phone in five minutes. In the old days, you know, I think it took something like three months to find out who won the, the Battle of Trafalgar or something right. like that, you know. So that is a big shift of consciousness in terms of how things go. So, I, And I do think more and more we are, we're thinking about how we're thinking. And that is leading us into the idea of, of consciousness, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh well, I wanted to, obviously, we'll talk more about consciousness, but I also wanted to bring up a couple more definitions because I think it's, it's where that, uh, um, that contrast of is it a means or an end to, came in for me, and I think you just spoke to this, um, spirituality and, and religion. So, again, a simple definition of spirituality is the quality of being concerned with the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things. And religion is the belief in and worship of a superhuman power or powers, especially a god or gods. Any thoughts on those terms? Well, <clears throat> I think we all have our own definitions of, uh, of, of what it is. Um, I mean, for me, religion is fundamentally a cultural phenomenon. I mean, I think uh, religion is the cultural interpretation of a particular experience that an individual or small group of people have had. Um, So, you know, Islam is a cultural interpretation of the experience that Muhammad had. Uh, Buddha is a cultural interpretation of the experience that that, that the Buddha had. And Christianity is a cultural experience, uh, a cultural um, development of the experience that Jesus had. Uh, And so I I see very much religion as being um, ways that people try to unpack great leaps forward in terms of knowledge that individuals have had um, and they try and communicate that uh, that experience through religion they'll say Jesus had this experience now if you want to get where Jesus is then this is what you have to do this is how you become a Christian and therefore in becoming a Christian you get the experience of what Jesus had to you're a Buddhist same sort of thing so I, I, I see it very much in, in cultural terms and I think it's interesting when you look at all these religions they're very culturally bound up as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, 
involve all the different ways that that culture expresses itself. So I, f I find, you know, it's more interesting to think about religion in terms of culture. I mean, with spirituality, I always go back to, uh, it's the second time I've mentioned Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury, but I find... I found this little quote in his book. Actually, I, I met him recently, uh, a while ago, and I said to him, do you know this quote I, I used from you? You know, gave him the quote. And he said he couldn't even remember saying uh -huh. it. Or doing. <clears throat> but he defines spirituality as the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. And I like that for a number of reasons. First of all, it's the cultivation... It's something you, you do. It's like agriculture. You have to dig the soil and make it work. The cultivation of a sensitive. And I think that's also important because uh, it, 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 it shouldn't be abusive. There has to be a sensitivity in, involved in spirituality. And rewarding. It has to be enriching. I think that's important. And then the key word, relationship. Spirituality is a relationship. And it's a relationship, as Rowan Williams says, with eternal truth, uh, the nature of reality, and love, um, which, from my perspective, is the, is the fundamental uh, currency of the universe. It's, it's what the universe is based on. So let's, let's keep going with this. Um, you, not only have you said this to me in the past but it, it's in your bio on the on the website for the aspen chapel and that you like exploring the relationship between consciousness and spirituality through all the great wisdom traditions yeah so we've sort of set the stage with consciousness and we just talked about spirituality so tell tell us our, our listeners a little more about that relationship that you're exploring and and through the great wisdom traditions that was not a term i was familiar with until i read that uh, i have to admit so tell us more about that well, I think it comes down to what it is to be a human being. Um, and I think that all the great uh, wisdom traditions, and by wisdom traditions I'm talking about, you know, the tradition of Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao Te Ching, mm -hmm. the tradition of, of Christianity with Jesus, and so and so, you know, all, all, you know those bases. That basically they are all expressing a fundamental wisdom or truth that they have experienced. And my perception is, the way I look at things, is that, you know, whether you live in, you know, uh, Carbondale or you live in, in Shanghai or Peking or whatever it is, a human being is a human being is a human being. And when you bore deeply into their souls, you're going to hit the same bedrock. You're going to, whatever you call it. And by the way, I think that bedrock is consciousness. That's what we're talking about. You're going to hit that basic bedrock. And you're going to hit, hit an understanding of the nature of reality. And, and these individuals have had an understanding. They've had an experience of the nature of reality. And they are then wanting to communicate that experience of the nature of reality. Uh, and the way they do it is, by, um, is, is through their, their, their wisdom that they do. So... I always think with religion, it's not, shouldn't be, my religion is better than yours. It should be, what can I, in my religion, learn from your religion? That's the way around it should be. That each of us has, each of the religions has, has things that all the other religions can learn from. So I think we can learn, I, you know, I, I learn an enormous amount from the Tao Te Ching. 
uh, I learned an enormous amount from the, the, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, and all, all that. So I, I, I never, uh, I was very embarrassed. I was once on a radio program like this, and someone said to me, have you ever read the Quran? So I had to admit that I had never read the Quran. Okay. And of course, from that moment onwards, I thought, right, I'm never going to be in this situation again. So I went off and read the Quran as well. So just to, you know, to have that with it. And how was that? Well, the Quran, I mean, you know, I think the Quran, here's my sort of, you know, basic, I think it's like 60% the Old Testament. Huh. It's sort of 20% all about sort of how Muhammad and his people got on with each other in the area that they were there. It's about 10% Muhammad's experience in the cave that he had. And it's about 20%, probably got the wrong percentages there, but how do I deal with this? How do I have this be in my life? And how do I, how do I deal with my friends and relatives and everybody around me, given my understanding of the nature of things? So, I, I mean, that's really what it's like, I think, in terms of it. It's, it's, you can, when you look at the, the, the basic experience, there's a, there's a fundamental experience going on that happened in the cave. And, um, you know, it's, it's, he puts it in the history of the Old Testament and, you know, Jesus is there and Moses and everybody like that. And that's how I found it. Okay. Uh, that's, I want to come back to your comment about consciousness is the bedrock of a soul. I think that, uh, um, so I want to come back to that a little bit later. Um, but you, you started, well, you've, you've defined, uh, religion as that, as a cultural phenomenon that, that, uh, um, I guess is maybe more dynamic than consciousness, and and I and I, I would say I don't disagree with that. And I think one of the impetuses of this show was really exploring that difference uh, between spirituality and religion and and consciousness. And so as I um, reflected on my own perceptions, uh, and I, I wanted to gain some context in preparation for this show, uh, and I. I found it just interesting, and, and I'm sorry to bore you with a few uh, facts right off the bat, but uh, the phrase under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance in 1954, and in God We Trust was added to coins in 1956. And at that time, according to Gallup polls, nuns, I'd never heard of this term before, nuns spelled N-O-N-E-S, a term that refers to the group made up of atheists, agnostics, and people with no particular religion in particular, were somewhere in the neighborhood of 0 to 2% of Americans. They began to noticeably increase in the 1990s, and today nuns make up 20 to 30% of the U.S. population. And so my casual observation is that this century has seen um, maybe, maybe it is greater, uh, maybe it's increasing uh, dynamics, um, Maybe it's become religion has become more political or populist, where the the increase in awareness and consciousness has increased. But what do you what do you make of those trends, and and do those trends mean anything to you? <clears throat> I think right from the Constantine, three hundred A.D religion and politics have been uneasy bedfellows. Okay. And I think that you can see the whole of the development of the Holy Roman Empire, the papacies, the Catholic Church. Uh, it, you know, it, 
it's so much about politics. You know, people felt that, uh, you know, it's a, a way, religion is a good way to control people. You know, if you do, you can, if you're following me as king, uh, I can tell you're following me because you're doing this, 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 and this. And if you don't follow me, I can kill you, you know, because you're not following it. So, you know, the Catholic Church and politics has been right the way through the time. And I think we're in, you know, the same sort of territory here. I think it's uh, a lot of, uh, in, in it's politically expedient to include religious uh, phrases and religious titles in in uh, governmental things because they seem to, you know, binds people together in a certain way and, you know, you've got God, flag, country, all that sort of business, uh, all bound up together in an unholy alliance, literally. Um, and I think that's what uh, accounts for it today. I think there's also a fear that as people f start to question you know, the rise of what you call, you know, the nuns, the rise of the nuns, I mean... It's in England we talk about the the death of the age of deference, where you know before the Second World War everyone went to church, and after the Second World War when they saw what a mess everybody made of it, you know they thought well if you you're not handling this, and church attendance fell off a cliff, and I think there's you know there's a part of that that the more that you sense that your values are are, are, are slipping away that you know, the 60s and the 70s, the more that, that c comes along, the more you want to say, hey, yeah, God, we, we, you know, they're important. Yeah, let's say that. Let's mm -hmm. put it there. Let's make sure that everybody agrees with that and flag God, country, all that together. So I think there's, there's a whole, there's a political thing going on with that as well. But I think with the rise of, uh, I think there is a rise of people exploring uh, the nature of reality. I think that's an important thing. I think all of it is about perspective. I mean, if I told you, Dan, that you're... If I said to you right now that your house is on fire, you know what you do, don't you? You'd be dashing down the road and, yeah. you know... But if I told you that your house is on fire because we've been invaded by aliens, you'd do something completely different, probably. <laughs> you know, the whole context has right. changed. So I think people are very much interested in what the nature of reality is. You know, what what... Reality is an interesting thing. What can you rely on? And I think people are questioning what you can rely on. Um, and I think uh, that development of, uh, of the nuns and things like that is people who are questioning what the nature of reality is. They've been told, you know, that God's in the sky and Jesus is just beside him. And if you're good, you'll go up to heaven and stuff like that. Um, but people are saying, well, hang on, you know, Really? So for me, as I reflect on this, I think, okay, there's a difference for me personally between consciousness and religion. But I think to your point, religion still serves a very important purpose. And it's obviously been, well, I, I don't mean to imply anything, but it's been important to you. It's a, religion is a great employer of people, and I'm extremely <laughs> grateful for the existence of religion, for my, my house and my things like that. But yeah. I mean, I do think religion is, uh, I think religion is a, a function of consciousness. I think religion is a function of consciousness. I don't think the two are separate. I mean, I mean I, I'll give you the bottom line as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the bottom line as far as I'm concerned is that 
you know, we go back 37 billion years, uh, 40, sorry, we go back uh, 13.7 billion years to the Big Bang. And from my perspective, at that moment at the Big Bang, there was an explosion of consciousness. And that consciousness was uh, um, expressed in terms of rocks and atoms and but whatever, there was something in there. There was a fundamental ordering principle in there that we can call consciousness. And that gradually those rocks uh, and, and bits formed into planets and, and the universe and all that sort of business. And, and then, you know, in, we have experience here on our planet. Then gradually they formed. And finally, there was single cell organisms developed and um, a consciousness within, within those single-cell organisms. For me, evolution is a function of the evolution of consciousness. Evolution is a function of the evolution of consciousness. So, so those single-cell organisms uh, became conscious of what was around them. They evolved. They became floating around in the sea. They, you know, they were conscious of light. They crawled out of the sea. They, they became conscious of their surroundings. They developed, uh, for me, the material side develops out of that, that consciousness. And we are, as human beings now, at the end point of that evolution of consciousness. And we are at the, uh, it's not the end of the story, but we are uh, as far as it has got at the moment that mm -hmm. we know of. And we are at a point where we've consciously evolved, whereby we can think, we can rationalize, we can, we can self-reflect. And I think that in terms of the evolution of consciousness, you know, one of the things that uh, people say, you know, where are we going to go next in evolution? And I think it's, you know, it's not where we go next is not that my daughter will develop a, an extra long thumb for texting. You know, I don't think that's the way it works. I believe the next stage in the evolution of consciousness is involved in self-reflection about the nature of where we come from. And where we come from, I think, is a fundamental consciousness. And my view is that each of us is able to access that fundamental consciousness. We're able to experience it. Um, I mean, you, people talk about seeing the light. They talk about, you know, the music of the spheres. They talk about, you know, experiences that, that go beyond what we normally understand. And for me, that experience of enlightenment is an experience of the fundamental nature of that consciousness that's within us all. Um, and so it's, fr you know, that's the experience I think the Buddha had. That's the experience that Jesus had. That's the experience that Muhammad had. They had an experience of the, of, of the deep nature of their own consciousness. And, and I think that's why it is developing more and more as people start to self-reflect and get a sense of that they are not their minds, that there is something deeper uh, within them and that, that is experienceable. I listened to one of your Sunday talks. I think it was from December of this year where you talked about this uh, subject. Um, and you said that the, the cosmic Christ is the spiritual DNA for creative forces, all creation and evolution and the evolution of consciousness. So uh, I, I thought that was fascinating. So bring in the cosmic Christ component of that. And, and well, I think... I'd want to go back to the, uh, I mean, I think the, the, the interesting concept is the idea of a spiritual DNA. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think, think about the DNA that we have in our bodies, 
you know, it's, it, it's, you've got all those cells, uh, the, the bits and pieces. And from that DNA, so the building blocks of life come about. And because we've got that particular DNA, then it builds out of there. And I'm suggesting that, that within life, there is a fundamental spiritual DNA, something within us, deeply within all of us. And we come from that spiritual DNA. And in all the different religions, that, that spiritual DNA will be called different things. In Taoism, it will be called the Tao. You know, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. It, it, it's, it's the fundamental Tao. You know, in, in, uh, 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 you know, in the Upanishads, it's referred to as the self. Um, that, that, that's the, the fundamental DNA there. In, in, in Christianity, it is known as the Christ nature. Uh, the Christ, you know, that, that when Jesus, Christ is not Jesus's surname. You know, it's not Jesus Christ like Jesus Smith. It's, it is a, it's a denoting of the deep wisdom that that individual represents in his community. That's a great explanation I have um, and clarification. Uh, I mean, I think that, that actually... You know, our fundamental purpose in life is discovering that consciousness within us uh, and that all of our lives, the, the promptings that we have, whether it's to you know, find partners, find relationships, you know, buy cars, get houses, join things up, all of that stuff is somehow deeply part of ourselves responding to our environment in a way that we think will work for us but really it if we're able to touch the deep center of ourselves then a lot of that changes and we start to want different sorts of things um and i think that's that's an interesting uh outpouring of, of how that works uh a book i actually listened to this book a little while ago um Sam Harris uh, wrote the book Waking Up, and it's a guide to spirituality with, the book is called Waking Up, a guide to spirituality without religion. Uh, that in, He says that in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and the human soul, um, the human soul is genuinely separate from the defi- divine authority. And he contrasts this with Eastern traditions like Buddhism by stating that consciousness is identical to divine authority. And to me, that resonates with when you say uh, consciousness is the bedrock of a soul as opposed to a divine authority. And that's not to say religion is wrong. It's just different. And it's a a mechanism by which to understand consciousness. Not mechanism isn't the right word. Um, It's a a cultural phenomenon. But any thoughts on that difference? Yeah, I I, I do have thoughts on the difference. And I think... I, I would disagree with uh, th- this idea that, okay. th- that there is a, very much an authority out there that we're separate from the authority and, uh, or, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, for me, I, I see Christianity as an Eastern religion. I see the, the fundamental things in uh, the Gospels as being uh, expressing the same uh, ideas fundamentally as some of the Eastern religions. Uh, I mean, you, you know, I don't want to you know, quote all the Bible verse, but I'm going to now. I mean, there's the whole phrase where, you know, Jesus asks, where is the kingdom of heaven? And he says, the kingdom of heaven is within you. 
And there is a, uh, I think there's sometimes a, a different interpretations of what all that means. But I have a, a, an understanding that, um, that we are an expression of that divine nature. Uh, obviously, we, we, um, the things that separates us from being just a total expression is that we have our, we have our minds. And the problem is that in the world, most of us totally identify with our minds. We identify with our thoughts, with our characters, with our personalities. You know, our personalities are very important to us. Do you know the word personality? Do you know it comes from the Greek word persona? And do you know what the persona was? I don't. The persona was the mask that the Greek actors spoke through the tragedy mask or the comedy mask. And persona literally means that which is spoken through. And our personalities are simply that which we use to speak through into the world. But we, we think that's what we are. And the way my perspective, uh, you know, how I look at it, is that there is, you know, a, a, a fundamental... I, I mean, I'm going to talk about it in terms of love because I think that's important. I mean, for me, the way I look at it is that love is the fundamental currency in all of creation. And I've got a definition of love, which I, I like to use, which is love is giving with no expectation of a return. Giving with no expectation of return. And you see, I like to think that the universe was given in love. I mean, the universe was given with no expectation of return. And we were given our lives with no, no expectation of return. No one came up to me and said, look, you, you've been born, you know, it's now 30 years later, here's the bill. Um, you know, we'd like you to account for this. Now. No, we were given our lives with no expectation of return. So I think, for me, that giving with no expectation of return is the way the universe works. And when we're able to give in our own lives with no expectation of return, we then become part of that love which is the deep expression of the universe we become that love and I think our purpose is to become that love and often the thing that gets in the way is our minds our minds say I want to be in control I know how to get you to survive trust me I've always worked and I think what a lot of the you know a lot of the religions would want to say in their own different ways is is let go of 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 the mind and allow the heart to come through. Allow the heart to come through, and the mind will then come behind it. Ram Das says that the transformation uh, in spirituality is when uh, your mind, the psychodynamics of your equals the mind, the psychodynamics, is when you go from your heart serving your psychodynamics, your heart serving your changes to your psychodynamics serving your heart and that is the transformation i think that most religions are trying to come about and they all have their own ways of doing it it is where they you become an open portal through which love can come through and to that extent that's how we connect and there is that fundamental connectivity and when you experience that fundamental connectivity and when you're part of it you realize there is no separation can you repeat that Again, probably not. Uh, <laughs> it's when you're. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It goes. Ramdas is saying it, the transformation is where you go from your psychodynamic serving your heart. 
no, from your heart serving your psychodynamics. In other words, your heart says, you really need this car. You need to work really hard to get it. Make sure you get that job, get that car, then you'll be okay. To going from that to your psychodynamics, which is, you know, I'm messed up here, but I know that my heart is sensing what needs to be done and I'm going to serve my heart in, in my life. Okay. Thank you for repeating. That's, a, that's a, another powerful statement. And so with that, uh, I, I need a little bit of clarity here. Can, can you contrast or compare the persona and the psycho, psychodynamics? I mean, are they... Yeah, I think they're the same. Okay, I think your personality, you, what you're made up is what your psychodynamics are. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I've got my stuff, you know, I've, all, all the things that have made me who I am. And, you, you know, you go through life and when you talk to your therapist, you know, you start unpacking why A plus B made you do C and D and E and all, all that sort of business. You know, and you start to realize that there is an interaction between your mind and your body and how it all works. And it's it's becoming aware of that and allowing the heart to come through, which I think is an important, you know, th that's what I think religion is trying to do in life. It's ways to allow the heart to come through. But of course, you know, it, it's used for so many other things that that tends to get messed around a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so you're saying religion shares that common goal of, of what Ramda says, um, so I don't want to, I don't want to ask you to give the answer yet. But so, are you saying that consciousness really is the end? There, as is it, there is no end. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I got. I wanted. This is quite. It's good because we, we have to look at this outside the concept of time. We are so bound up in time, even when we oh. say the end. You know, I know you don't mean the end, don't mean yeah. but we're so bound up in in the whole con concept of time. You know, I like to think of rather, you know, we think of ourselves as walking through time, you know, that going, going, going forward and we walk through time. We, you know, we see it all go past us and things like that. And we're walking along to the end of the road. But hey, what about if we were the still point, as Eliot says, T.S. Eliot, and that time was passing through us and we are existing in that eternal now, in that eternal moment and time passes through us. So. It's not about an end. What it's about is a realization of the nature of reality. And I think here, here's what I think the key realization is. And, you know, this, this may be the time everybody's, oh, it's all woo with this. But you've got to start with the fact that everything on this planet and in this universe is totally interdependent on everything else. You know, a tree is dependent on Earth. It's, we're all completely interdependent. And, you know, Dan, where you begin and where you end is arbitrary as well. I mean, you could say you end, you know, where, where your skin ends. Is it, where your, is it where your heat ends? Is it if there's such a thing as an aura? Is it where your aura ends? Where do you end, you know? But I, I would want to come from a perspective that not only are we totally interdependent on, on each other, but that fundamentally we are all expressions of that same one consciousness. You are that consciousness expressed as Dan, and I am that consciousness expressed as Nicholas. So fundamentally we are of the same 
metal together. And fundamentally, the universe is of the same metal as everything else. And then you can see why insane it is that we're fighting each other. Yeah, I've, got one, I've got one thing that will solve all the world's, world's problems. It's, it's one sentence, and I guarantee if it's used, it will solve any conflict, any situation. We were going to end with that, so I, <laughs> I know what it is because we've talked. <clears throat> um, yeah, I suppose when I say, when I ask if it's the end, <clears throat> to me, you know, when I was studying Buddhism very lightly, um, I, I would have described enlightenment as the goal and the end. And what I hear you saying is that that consciousness is there. And like it or not, we're all part of the same force, life force, if you will. And so when I ask if it's the end, is, is that really what humans are striving for uh, is that awareness that we are part of that and the, and the work and sort of implementation of that concept? I tell you what I think human beings are striving for, which is an experience of peace. Uh-huh. I think that is the fundamental place that we look for. And the question is, how do I find that peace? I mean, you know, in Christian terms, it's described as the peace that passes all understanding. But where, how do we find that peace? You know, peace is not happiness. Peace is not, you know, it's not uh, not being in pain. It's, it, it's not. It, it, there's a certain peace that is an okayness with everything. I think that's what humans are, are that's what we're, we're, we're wanting. And I think this whole idea of enlightenment is an interesting thing. I mean, there are peak experiences that someone has. And I, I was thinking of doing an event on peak experiences the other day. And someone, I was talking to someone and I was thinking, what do you think about peak experiences? And they said, just don't talk about them because they're unhelpful. Because really... You know, the whole nature of enlightenment, when it comes down to it, if you want to know how to be enlightened, enlightenment is being okay with what's so. And by okay, I mean fundamentally okay. Enlightenment is being able to be at peace with what's so. And if we're able to be at peace with what's so, Literally, that's when we become light. We become enlightened uh, by being at peace with what's so. So that reminds me of, of it might have been the same talk that I referenced earlier. Uh, and you, you touched on this earlier in your comments, sort of the evolution of humans. Um, and I'm paraphrasing here, here. We're in the beginning of more primal instincts. We need to feed yeah, ourselves yeah. and shelter ourselves. Yeah. And then we started cooperating and yeah. we started to build community. And then yeah. we added arts and culture to education. Uh, but then you mentioned that there are still people out there that are, that are trying to disrupt society by killing. And, and, and you touched on that a second ago. And it, to me, it almost seems like as a society, there's, there's this peak experience where we've been trending towards higher consciousness this evolution of consciousness yet we're seeing these these spike in killing maybe, maybe it's not a spike i don't know but it feels that way 
Um, and in the talk, you mentioned that's that's where we are. That's we need to be able to end that. And clearly that aligns with what you just said with really being able to experience peace. And clearly you're not experiencing peace if you're killing someone. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I would say that um, that that we are there is a, a greater development of awareness, understanding, and consciousness. Gandhi was asked what he what he thought about Western civilization, and he said it would be a good idea. Uh, and I think that, but really, we are there is that development of uh, uh, of consciousness and awareness, and I think there. You know, I, I definitely come from a view that things are getting better. I mean, you know, they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's awful the things that are happening in the world, but things. I do think there is a progression. I, uh, I do think there is a, a, things are improving. I, I have that view of it, but I think you know there are always idiots. There are always idiots who come along and think, well, I'm going to, you know, get my bit, and I'm going to therefore get people together to get my bit with them. If you come with me, you'll be able to get your bit, and suddenly there's a whole thing and let's invade this country or let's do that idiots i mean again gandhi i just take great i'm going to misquote him now because i didn't the quote off by this lovely quote gandhi says is you know just remember that in history all the tyrants all the murderers all those you know idiots you know they always end always they end, they come to an end, and you know, they never last forever. I, I can't remember the exact quote, but he's really says always they will come to an end. And I do feel that, um, you know, our ability to manage our idiots as a civilization is incredibly important. And at the moment, you know, uh, in lots of areas, the idiots are, are running the show, and that makes it very difficult, you know, when you realize that, you know, there are. You know, there, there's a, another way of going about it that is not so idiotic. Mm-hmm. But per, maybe, maybe it's not perhaps. Maybe this is the way it is. But there's a reason for those idiots. And perhaps they're increasing our consciousness. And that's what we need to in order to increase our consciousness. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, you could argue that. But I think it's ignorance. I think, I think it is, it's, a fu- it's a function of education. I think it's it's a fundamental ignorance as to how the world works, how cooperation works, how to get things done. I mean, you know, it's mad, you know, that we're all, you know, you know, we're all running around, you know, trying to solve our own little problems in our own little areas. We're not working together. We're fighting each other. Um, I, I think it is a fun function of education, and I think that that as people become educated, then they begin to see the idiot. In it, the idiocy that is going on. I think on the surface, I, I agree with you. But again, in my, my research and studying others who have thought about uh, these issues, um, one, uh, one person I read said that all great wisdom traditions agree on one thing, that everything is a mess and all is well. And I believe, if I understood their point well, yeah. is that this killing and this mess that's around us is is there for a reason we don't we may not understand it but it is it is allowing us to see uh evolution or or what's next uh and if we can be and when they say all is well i i relate that to what you said is being able to experience peace in that and understanding that 
we are we are all one entity and these things have to happen or they wouldn't be happening i i i i don't think i could agree that they're here for a reason okay i i do think i do agree with the idea that that it's a mess and it's okay i mean if i look at my life you know i all our lives you know I think one of the important things, you know, that one has to come to realize is, you know, like in the 12 steps, you can't control circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't control whether or not you're going to get cancer or you can't control whether or not a loved one is going to die. But what you can control is the way you respond to that. And our, our ability to be able to be at peace with circumstances that seem painful uh, is is important. I think that's what that thing about the world being a mess and it's okay is about. I think it's about that. I do think that there is an unfolding of of things. I mean, you can see the unfolding of things going right the way back to the Big Bang, how things have unfolded. And rather than there being a reason for uh, all the killing that goes on, I think it is a function of an unfolding that we can see. I think it is unfolding and I think the more people become educated as to how it's unhelpful, the more it will become less. All right, we're nearing the end, and I, I want to bring it back to that helpfulness that, uh, that you just mentioned. And recently there was an article in the Aspen Times um, quoting Dr. Simran Jeet Singh, who's the executive director for the Aspen Institute's Religion and Society Programme. Uh, and the article quoted him saying, there is goodness around us. This is what our spiritual traditions teach us. How do you live in the present moment, not the regret of the past or the fear of the future? Uh, and so my question to you, Nicholas, is as it relates to what we've talked about, how does living in the present moment relate to human consciousness? And I think it's everything. Okay. Thich Nhat Hanh says that your true home is the present moment. The present moment is absolutely everything. And if you're able to live in the present moment, then you're able to respond to what's coming your way from the heart. I mean, two things. First of all, James Finney, who came to the chapel recently, he said with every circumstance arise, the question to ask is, given the circumstances, what is the most loving response I can make here? Given the circumstances, what is the most loving response I can make here? Now, you can only do that if you're in the present moment, really. If your mind is in control, then your mind will just react and you'll just go off in whatever direction your mind tells you. But the ability to rest in that present moment, the ability to just take a pause and then respond in a loving way, rather than being the effect of your rational mind, uh, is what it's about. And I think that the whole idea of that peace that passes all understanding exists in the present moment. It doesn't exist in our minds. It doesn't exist in the past. It doesn't exist in the future. It exists in our joy at witnessing the creation that we're within. So along those lines, I think you stopped short a few minutes ago from posing this question that you think that it's your opinion could solve a lot. Can you share that question? I forgot what, I forgot what it's... No. <laughs> no, no, no. <clears throat> no, I think there's a very important question. 
And I think it does put us in the right place in any situation. And that question is, how can I help? That's what we should be asking each other. That's what we should be asking our enemies. How can I help? We should be saying to China, how can I help? That is the attitude that solves problems. That's the attitude that breaks down barriers. And that's where I think we ought to be as a community. You know, I think at the Aspen Chapel, uh, you know, we're going into a program in the autumn. Uh, we're really asking, how can we help? You know, what can we do that will make a difference locally and in the community, you know, right up and down the valley? Um, and I think that's the most important question to ask ourselves. How can I help? Um, and uh, that's what I try to ask uh, when I'm in difficult situations. So maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's reminded me of last month's show. Last month's show was um, uh, of the criminal justice system where law enforcement and mental health uh, collide. And, and obviously we talked about mental health. How does that statement, how can I help, apply to that self-reflection and, and help us individually? Maybe I'm stretching it here, but I, I, I'm just drawing a correlation there because certainly there's ills in the world, but we also have our, we all have our own demons too. Um, that's part of this consciousness as well. Yes, and I think that, you know, I always have a phrase in, in the chapel, I always say that whatever we're talking about, never stop taking your meds. <laughs> and secondly, it's not okay to live in an abusive relationship. So I, I, I think one has to be, you know, aware of what is going on around us um, and aware of one's own well-being and aware of being well in order to be able to help other people. In fact, you know, the whole purpose of, you know, the study of spirit... You know, for me, the purpose of the study of spirituality is to learn how I can live my life more skillfully. That is the only reason for coming, going to church, going to the chapel. How do I live my life more skillfully? And I think that's, that's the basic question. And that, first of all, talks about how we live our lives and we, how, how we deal with our demons. But then it talks about how do I make a contribution to my world that's around me? How do, how do I live my life more skillfully with the people that I live with? And so it is all about, you know, it's all about healing ourselves and healing everything that's around us. It's a healing process, the whole thing. So would you say that living a life more skillfully facilitates greater consciousness yes i think that 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 a, a greater consciousness is a function of living your life more skillfully because you you realize the nature of reality it's about learning what the nature of reality is and how to live with that wow many good tidbits I, I, i'm not even really sure how to how to summarize um we've t we've talked about Consciousness is the bedrock, bedrock of the human soul and that uh, being present and experiencing peace is really uh, also akin to uh, human consciousness and this idea of how can we help. And what I'm hearing you say is that helps us know together. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, I think that if people are interested in this, um, then they, they can go to our website, which is uh, aspenchapel.org. AspenChapel.org, and on that website, there's a little tab which is called "Wisdom from the Top of the World," which is a little sort of like phrase that we use to cover all the talks and things like that. And if you click on "Wisdom from the Top of the World," 
you'll be able to access talks from speakers, some of the talks I've done in the chapel, and you can watch them and hear them. Uh, that's on aspinchapel.org, and it's uh, Wisdom from the Top of the World. Great. Uh, Nicholas, thank you. Uh, N- Nicholas VC for joining me today. It was an honor. Today's show was Human Consciousness. Is it a means or an end? Thank you for joining and listening to KDNK. Thank you very much.